0: Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. After accusing Iran of responsibility for the recent bombing of Saudi oil facilities, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said Tehran had committed an act of war. There were no Americans killed in this attack, but anytime you have an act of war of this nature, there's always risk that that could happen. The U.S. has not presented any evidence to prove that Iran bombed the Saudi oil sites, and the Houthi movement in Yemen has claimed responsibility. President Trump meanwhile has threatened what he called the ultimate option against Iran while still claiming he favors peace.
1: Well, there are many options as you know, Phil, there are many options and uh, there's the ultimate option and there are options a lot less than that. And we'll see, we're in a very powerful position. Right now we're in a very, very powerful position.
0: Lawrence Wilkerson is the former chief of staff to Secretary of State Colin Powell, currently a distinguished professor at the College of William and Mary. Welcome Colonel Wilkerson. What do you make first of all of Pompeo declaring the attack on the Saudi oil facility an act of war by Iran? And what do you make also of the intelligence that has been presented so far to blame Iran for this attack?
1: Let's take the last part of your question first. I'm most familiar with uh, falsifying or politicizing intelligence. And I've had a conversation over the last 48 hours with lots of retired CIA, Uh, DIA and other intelligence officials, as well as experts in the region. And the consensus amongst us is no evidence has been seen to this point to dispute the Houthi claim that they carried out the attacks. I think that's the most powerful statement I can make at the moment. And add that that does not discount Iranian complicity, of course, because they are, Uh, supporting the Houthis, and the Houthis have shown that though they're no one's uh, clone or no one's slave, they will take whatever they can get in this struggle with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So that's the answer to the intelligence. Pompeo speaks, as did Dick Cheney in 2002 and early 2003, quote, we know with absolute certainty that Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction, unquote. Well, we know today what that certainty amounted to. Now, the first part of your question, um, I, I think, has been handled quite well by some of the critics of our present policy or lack of policy. And uh, Nick Kristof and others have essentially said uh, if Saudi Arabia wants to respond to what it asserts are Iranian attack, attacks on its oil facilities, they very well can. They have airplanes and bombs. We all know we sold them to them. And that's probably what should happen if there is to be a force response to Iran. Um, I don't think there should be a force response. I think we should, uh, we, the United States, should think very carefully before we even encourage the Saudis to do something like that. Doing it on the op ed page of the New York Times is one thing, doing it officially through Mike Pompeo or whomever is another thing altogether.
0: Were you surprised that for all the money that Saudi Arabia spends on weapons, buying them primarily from the U.S., that it was not able to repel this attack?
1: I'm very curious as to what we might find out were we to do a real thoroughly forensic investigation here. I'm not at all convinced from the satellite photographs and other things that we've seen that that anyone's done that at this point. Um, there are all kinds of possibilities here, especially given the precision with which uh, these, these attacks apparently were carried out. The only thing I can relate back to is when the Israelis attacked the Egyptian aircraft on the ground and actually put a missile through the cockpit of every aircraft with such precision that it was incredible to to see afterwards and understand what the Israelis had actually done to put the Egyptian Air Force out of action in the first stages of that conflict. Um, To have done this would have required a great deal of sophistication. I would even say it almost looks as if it would have taken complicity with some elements perhaps on the ground in Saudi Arabia. Um, That uh, suggests—let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, with, with I, I won't say great, a great deal of prescience, but nonetheless with some expectation of what might happen in this region anytime soon, I ran a simulation for my seminar last semester. The simulation posited the collapse of the House of Saud and Shia groups from all over the region, including Iraq, including Saudi Arabia itself, including other places, essentially advancing on Riyadh that is to say, the collapse of the House of Saud. It led itself off, if you will, with the assassination of Mohammed bin Salman, becoming increasingly a factor in Saudi idiocy, in Saudi non-strategic moves, and so forth. I mean, we're talking about a man who has assumed the mantle of leadership in this country who seems to be off office rocker for all practical and strategic purposes. I'm surprised that the royals have not already moved To get this guy out of the position he is in. So it's not like this couldn't happen. It's not like there couldn't be a real uprising around and in Saudi Arabia eventually. And we would in fact have that, which we feared for some time, but always convinced ourselves could never happen, that this brutal, poisonous, absolutely dangerous kingdom in the middle of this vast oil producing region that is our tacit ally would collapse it's not beyond the possible
0: all the more reason than why they are so dependent on the u.s to uh, bet. to guarantee bet. their existence i wonder if you can comment on that talking about the dependency of the saudi royal family on the u.s not just now under trump but pretty much since the second world war when roosevelt made that
1: deal with the Saudi royal family. It's built itself mightily over the years, and without the kind of strategic rationale that Eisenhower and FDR in the beginning, but Eisenhower certainly gave great credibility to with his iconic stature and uh, being the president of the United States, uh, probably the most experienced man since George Washington to be the president of the United States, however reluctantly Eisenhower did it. It was all about oil. As we all know today, it was all about oil, and the Saudis had a great deal of it. And Eisenhower and others, this is the reason why Marshall, for example, objected to Truman's recognition of Israel in 1948. He even supposedly said to Truman, uh, shocking the president, I wouldn't vote for you. <laughs> if you recognize Israel, I'll not vote for you. And the paper that the Joint Chiefs wrote at that time was so prescient because it essentially said all the, it described all the problems we have today with our increased support for Israel now, even over the time period in 1948. So it's all about oil, and it was all about oil for a generation. Now it's not so much about our oil as it is oil for Japan and Korea and other of our allies, including the Europeans. And it is a relationship that has become familial. Uh, The so-called Bush dynasty, for example, has been reported in a number of uh, literary works as being very associated with Saudi Arabia, principally through uh, Prince uh, uh, Andar and others. It's become a relationship that is uh, more like the Trump relationship, more like the mafia relationship, if you will. Um, It's not based on strategic interest so much as it is based on money, money, and money, and money going into the coffers of some people in the national security elite in particular, and into the coffers of some politicians who cling to their power. Um, And it's also about this kind of habit that builds up over time when you don't know what to do otherwise. And discarding Saudi Arabia is the ultimate strategic problem of what do I do otherwise? President Obama, in a very deliberative process, came to at least a little bit of a conclusion on this question. And it's part of our problem today because much of the national security elite today around Trump is reacting to that conclusion. What was Obama's conclusion? Time to start ameliorating this situation. And so he opened talks with, secret at first, and then productive of the JCPOA with Iran. And he understood that the real power in the Gulf over the long haul is not this fragile oil-based potentate in Riyadh. It is a hegemonic, very hegemonic in the sense that it has the largest population, the largest uh, strategic depth in the region and so forth, Iran. So you've got to recognize that Iran, regardless of how much you might hate the theocratic government in Tehran, is the real power in the Gulf. And so Obama did that. And and that caused him, for example, to have to counter that with support for the Saudis in their brutal war in Yemen, because that was, you know, he had to do that, because you can't separate yourself from Riyadh as rapidly as perhaps he might have wanted to. I don't happen to agree with that deliberate process. I think he should have done it even more forthrightly than he did. Of course, the Congress would have murdered him had he tried, but it was already murdered. Hmm. So why didn't he try? Uh, He lacked political and moral courage as, as far as I'm concerned to do that. But sooner or later, we're going to have to separate ourselves from that dictatorship in Riyadh. And I suspect it's going to be like history shows most of these separations. It's going to be brutal, swift, and quick. Uh, That's one reason why I ran the simulation I described to you earlier last semester. Um, It's not a healthy relationship. It's a very disastrous relationship. We're seeing that from the Bab El-Mandeb and the Red Sea all the way over to the Strait of Hormuz, all the way up to Ankara. We now have Turkey down involved in some of these things, involved in serious ways in the Red Sea and in places like Qatar. Um, This is going to become worse and worse for us if we don't develop some sort of sane strategic policy and begin to implement it. And at the heart of that policy has to be a beginning of a breakaway from Saudi Arabia.
0: I believe Obama also sold Saudi Arabia a record number of US weapons, something like $115 billion. And on that front, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on the inherent bias of the discussion uh, as displayed by the reaction to this attack on the Saudi oil facilities. So it's sort of taken for granted, among even among some Democrats, that if Iran did carry it out, that the U.S. would have the right to respond. But meanwhile, of course, this comes in the context of Saudi Arabia, as you mentioned, waging a brutal war against Yemen, against the Houthis, uh, a war that we are supporting, U.S. missiles uh, constantly used to attack Yemen, found in the bombings of school buses, of hospitals. There was recently a massive strike that killed something like 100 people in a prison. But yet, none of that ever comes up as perhaps uh, a factor in why Saudi Arabia might be attacked uh, by the Houthis and why Iran might have a stake in supporting that.
1: It is coming up. And I, I, the mainstream media in this country is just a joke anymore. Uh, but what's happening in the Congress right now as they deliberate over the National Defense Authorization Act, the 738 or so billion dollars they're going to give the military for this year. Um, The policy debate around the NDAA is what is holding it up in conference right now. It's what's going to be very difficult to get it out of conference. And the policy debate includes, they've, they've decided on the money. The money is decided on. They're going to give the money to defense. The policy debate Uh, revolves around some of the amendments and integral parts of the NDAA that aren't about money. One of them is, in effect, the House of Representatives and the Senate passed a law that would have taken advantage of the War Powers Resolution, as well they should, it's their responsibility under the Constitution, and ordered the president to get out of support of Saudi Arabia in Yemen. This passed, you may recall, in both houses. It passed by 54 to 46, as I recall in the Senate. It did not pass with a veto-proof majority, and so Trump vetoed it. Well, now that legislation plus a limit on sales, arm sales, and so forth to Saudi Arabia is wrapped up as an amendment to the NDAA in the hopes that the president will not veto the NDAA. So there has been some very behind the scenes, if you will, because the media won't touch it. The media doesn't want to talk about it action in the Congress to get this president out of that brutal war. That doesn't answer your question fully, though, because what has to happen, I think, is a political settlement to that war in order to begin to stabilize the region again, to feed people, to stop the refugee flows and so forth, Uh, curb the cholera, curb the famine and so forth. Um, I was with the U.N. High Commissioner for Refugees, representative last week, and he was just describing to me a horrible situation in Yemen. We've got refugee flows from Somalia, from Puntland, from uh, Sudan, from Eritrea, Ethiopia, people trying to get across Yemen to get into the Gulf states to work, um, and people in Yemen trying to go the other way because of the conflict, and some 300,000 of them built up around the coast. And... With every kind of criminal in the world offering transportation across both ways, and you know, doing such things as leaving them in leaky old boats, and the boats sink and they drown, Uh, dead bodies uh, washing up on each shore. So, we need a political settlement here. And what the United States could do and could be doing instead of supporting Saudi Arabia, 104,000 guided bomb units, for example, were just delivered. What it could be doing is bending the Saudi arm behind the Saudi back and getting them to come to a political settlement. People say, well, oh no, they'd turn to China then, or they'd turn to Russia or somebody else for their arms. I'm sorry. They have been so embedded with us for so long that doing that would take a decade or two for them even to transition the logistics, the training, the support, the equipment itself, and so forth. So the Saudis aren't about to go to China or to Russia. If they did, they'd have a period of vulnerability that would be so significant For what I just predicted previously would happen, They'd probably collapse. So their security is tied to us. It is absolutely tied to us. And if that's the case, then why not take advantage of it and bring it into this war? Then you can start dealing with some of the other problems in the region. You ask the question, why is it that Saudi Arabia and we need each other today? The answer to that question is there isn't any reason other than this connection between the national security elite and money and the Saudis. And as one senator said to me when I was lobbying him with regard to this legislation I just described and trying to get him to be supportive of it, the Saudis have lots of money to buy U.S. Treasuries. <laughs> okay, well, I don't think that's going to be anything that's threatened either, because let's look at the Saudi economic and financial situation right now. They can't be, uh, they can't afford to withdraw their vast sums of investment in the United States at any given moment, because. That would be tumultuous for them financially and economically as well perhaps for us. So um, this this is a very tight relationship, yeah, but it's a tight relationship that begins to, it needs to be looked at, it needs to be looked at from both sides. And it needs to be readjusted, and significantly so.
0: Lawrence Wilkerson, the former Chief of Staff to Secretary of State Colin Powell, thanks very much.
1: Thanks for having me.